Coming up on episode 323 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Subaru Impreza, the Kia EV9. Ram's going to build a midsize pickup in Belvedere. Uh, the Ram 1500 uh, gets updated with new engines and an onboard generator. Uh, the S Nissan has the Safari Z concept. Porsche is going Android in 2025. And Hyundai drops the price on the Ionic 6. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 323 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Salmon from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from SAE International. And uh, Nicole is, let's see, I think right now she is perhaps on her, on her way back from somewhere. Um, but she's not, not going to be home until this evening. Um, and it's the uh, end of the year where all the marketing departments have to get yeah, to somewhere. All too much stuff in. You know, <laughs> I've got two things this week, another one next week, possibly another one the first week of December. It's it's just bonkers. I had two uh, things last week, a thing this week. Actually, it should be two things, but I can't because I'm spending time with fa actually three things <laughs> that happen this coming week. But two of them I can't do because of uh, of I have plans with family. And then God knows, I don't even know. I haven't even looked at the rest of the month. <laughs> don't you just love hearing us talk about things that we can't tell you anything about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. None of these things I can. I'm allowed to talk about. I'm sorry. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess I can talk about BMW Test Fest. Uh, there you go. go I went to, to Singapore. Singapore is oh, really yeah. warm. Yeah. And the food is delicious. Malaysian, the, Indian, Chinese, all. How, how was together. that? It was. I was in Singapore for a grand total of 50 hours. Oh. Um, for like 30. Two hours of flying, or oh, thirty-three hours of flying. Um, but no, it was it was fine. It was it was good. It was the 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 thing I did was actually really really cool. And then I got to walk around Singapore a bit. Um, and then I went to a, a place. Are you allowed to talk about that one yet, or is that no? I can't talk about that oh, okay. for a long time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so sorry, but anyway, right. Singapore is really cool as long as you don't do any break. Don't break any laws. Yes, that's that's, that's what do I not, learned. Do not chew gum. Do not spit on the sidewalk. Um, don't, don't do it. Don't do anything. You know, like your parents told you not to do when you were a kid. Yeah. Singapore is essentially your mom <laughs> with your dad, like waiting back there with a stick. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> let's, let's get into it. Well, since, since you were spent most of the week flying back and forth between here and Singapore, I guess you didn't have anything to drive, right? No, I didn't. I, the only yeah. thing I drove was my car. Well, I, I had actually ended up having two vehicles to drive. Uh, I had, when I got back from um, Japan, uh, I picked up a Subaru Impreza at the airport. And then um, on Monday, um, I got an email. Uh, they have, um, there's very few Kia EV9s in the US yet. Uh, but because I'm on the jury for North American Car Truck of the Year, they wanted to make sure all the jurors had a chance to spend some time with the EV9. So they were offering up some one day loans. So I got an nice. EV9 for one day, um, which, uh, which worked out well. Um, so let's start with the Impreza. Um, you know, it's been a while since I drove a, a gas powered Subaru. Um, and I, I've always liked the, the Subaru boxer engines. You know, I, I like the sound that they make. It's, it is a very. It's a. I, I will hear someone drive by with a WRX or STI, and I get so I get so nostalgic over my WRX. <laughs> uh, 
You just had they they're just they have a very specific sound. And then the regular supers have a very specific sound. Yeah. So um this is very much a regular Subaru. Um not you know, not a WRX or an STI or anything. This is this is your 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 basic um you know Subaru commuter car. Uh if you if you need to if if you need an all-wheel drive compact car to drive uh that is relatively affordable um gets reasonable fuel economy not 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 outstanding but but decent fuel economy um has decent amount of space in it um for for your stuff and and your people um the the impreza is actually a, a really nice place to spend time um you know it it is you know kind of in the same classes you know corolla and civic and um you know a whole bunch of other cars um and the one i had was the rs trim which is kind of at the the top of the the line uh it's got a 2.5 liter four cylinder boxer engine it's naturally aspirated 182 horsepower 178 pounds feet of torque and a cvt um but uh, uh, uh i think we talked about this last week this yeah yeah you know i mean it, it's not it's, it's not, not as horrible as they used to be Exactly. But, yeah, it's, but, it's better you know, than it's, it was. Yeah, it's it's not going to get you excited. Yeah. Um, but uh, the uh, you know, th- this is you know the the latest and greatest generation just launched this year has the infotainment system. Um, we talked last week. I think you had uh, I forget which one did you have last week? Uh, you the Crosstrek. You had the Crosstrek. So this is you know kind of the same thing, but you know in a more car-like fashion rather than you know sort of a pseudo crossover fashion um and so this one had the the 11 point the big 11.6 inch um touchscreen portrait style touchscreen for subaru starlink the base models as, you, as we mentioned last week have actually have two separate screens um for reasons that are pro- probably it's probably slightly cheaper to do it that way i guess but um, they had a bunch of extra screens from before. Yeah. Like, uh, throw them in the cars. <laughs> but you know, if you can, if you can stay away from the base model and get the 11, 11 inch, eleven and a half inch uh, screen, that's that's probably a better choice. You know, it's gonna it's gonna look better. It's you know gonna be a little less cluttered. the The Starlink infotainment is is fine. You know, it's it's not the worst I've seen. Um, it's reasonably responsive, but you know it. It does support um, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto both wirelessly, so that's good. Um, the uh, the RS that I had had the the iSight driver assist uh, system, uh, so that rather than using a radar sensor, it uses a pair of stereo cameras on the front uh, mounted by the mirror that are looking forward and and give some depth perception. Uh, so it can do adaptive cruise control, forward collision alert, that sort of thing. Plus, it's got blind spot monitoring and and all the other stuff that we typically expect on on most new cars now. Um, there's uh, uh, the the interior of Subarus, or at least you know the Impreza, is you know it doesn't feel particularly premium. You know, if you get into this and then you get into a Mazda three. Yeah, you will not mistake the two. <laughs> the Mazda Subaru, three Subarus are very utilitarian. Yes, 
like Mazda and Hyundai are like, look how nice this is. And Subaru's like, this is what you get. You're driving a car. Don't bother us. <laughs> yeah. The surfaces are hard plastics. You know, most of them are fairly nicely textured, but you know, you touch them, you know, it, it doesn't feel premium. Uh, it doesn't look particularly premium, but it's fine. Uh, you know, because the Impreza starts, I think at uh, something like $25,000, if I recall. The base um, is 23. Oh, 23. Okay. 23. And for that 23. All-wheel drive. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. For for $23,000, you get an all-wheel drive car. You get the exact same powertrain that was in this RS that I drove. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's kind of hard to beat. Uh, you're you're certainly not going to find an all-wheel drive car any cheaper than that in the U.S. today. Um, and uh, let's see, oh, lost the tab now. Where'd the tab go? Um, oh, here we go. Back back to the right tab with my <laughs> with the with the notes. Um, so you know, and, and it it's comfortable to drive. Uh, the seats are comfortable. Um, the ride quality is decent. Uh, you know, it's not. I wouldn't call it plush. But it's also not harsh, you know. So it's a nice, you know, it's a decent balance, um, you know, even on on Michigan roads. Um, standard features on the RS include, like I said, that that eyesight uh, ADAS system. It's got auto stop start, which actually works pretty well. It's it restarts pretty quickly and smoothly. Um, there's active torque vectoring, um, and overall, it you know, it's just a it's a that's a nice basic car to drive, and you know, if you're it, if you can afford something in the mid twenties, you know this is uh, this is a, a something you should really take consider, especially if you live somewhere where you get winter weather uh, or you get oh, yeah. you know a lot of inclement weather. Um, you know, ha- having that all wheel drive, that standard all wheel drive, definitely helps. You're not going to get quite as much ground clearance on this one as you will with the Crosstrek. So if you live somewhere like say Colorado, where you get Deeper snow, uh, you might want to consider stepping up to the Crosstrek or you know or an actual SUV. But um, for for most drivers, uh, you know, like here in Michigan, for example, uh, you know the amount of snow we typically get, the all-wheel drive will give you the traction you want, um, and as long as the snow is not too deep, so you're not going to get bottomed out, um, and then it, it's fine. It, it it works really well. Um, so. You know, and if you are so inclined, the RS um, also has paddles on the back of the steering wheel to simulate an eight-speed um, eight-speed automatic that you can toggle through. So there's some pre-programmed ratios uh, for the CVT, but you know, who's no nobody's going to do that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of pointless. Um, you know, I, I usually try them out, you know, just to see, you know, how, how quickly it shifts and, you know, it shifts reasonably quickly, but you know, no, nobody actually ever uses that after, after you, you know, the first day or two, you know, it's like, okay, fine. It can do that. I'm I'm not going to mess with it anymore. Um, so, uh, the, uh, the Impreza RS that I had basically, you know, pretty much loaded, um, all in came to $28,975. Which, given the equipment that you get on this, and all-wheel drive, and reasonable performance, it's that's not a bad deal. It's a that's a pretty good deal, because uh, like I said, there's not that many cars in this class that offer all-wheel drive, you know, at any price point. So, um, it's definitely worth considering. Oh, it's I I I I think the only. I, I think I said this last week with the Crosstrek was the if they if Subaru were just to throw an EV powertrain in this, 
and just leave the car exactly the same. Everything else yeah. the same, like like the Kona or the i4. You just like, boom! Now it's an EV, and now it's you know five thousand dollars more. The oh, these things will be flying off the shelves. In a way, that's kind of what they did with the uh, Solterra, though. Except it's taller. Yeah, you know, it's a bit yeah. taller. It's a bit larger, um, and it doesn't. It's not very efficient. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. That's, you, that's, you'd, that's... you'd have to find a way to do it and keep it reasonably energy efficient. Yeah, and and I guess you know the the lower roof line of the Impreza would probably help there. Uh, I think that I think this is a little more aerodynamic than the uh, Solterra is. Um, so it, it, yeah, that probably wouldn't be a bad choice. Yeah, two hundred fifty miles with an Impreza. Yeah. I'd be I'd be stoked. I would buy one. I like uh, other outside outside of the 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 uh, CVT. I like everything in Subaru's lineup. Just every if, just everything is just like here's a car, goes off road, got all wheel drive, throw a bike or a surfboard. Hey, you know what? Throw your dogs in the back. We love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got like on the base level, it has dual climate control. Just, uh, yeah. just what you get and wireless carplay yeah, just like the things you actually want yeah you're like oh and then i like that the um the heat the heated seats are still just little rocker buttons in the middle yeah you're just <laughs> yeah. like eh, hot or cold that uh, hot or or, 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 a little or bit slightly less, less hot slightly less hot that's it <laughs> i don't have to go looking for it it's just like here's a current current done nothing fancy nothing and that's that's fancy. i guess that's the, the the big thing about this there's nothing fancy about it it just no. works you know, yeah. it's third, you know, it's a, it's a good size, you know, it's not too big. It's not too small back seats usable, got cargo space in the back. Uh, you know, it, it looks decent, you know, it doesn't have any of the weirdness that sometimes Subarus have. Uh, it's just, it just works and you know, it's reasonably priced for what it is. Yep. Easy. Just like, Oh, cool. Yeah. If you're buying a car for your kid, who's going off to college and you can afford it. Just get them one of these. Yeah. They can throw all their stuff in the back to move or whatever, you know, you do in college. You can put your friends in the back. It's all-wheel drive, so you don't have to worry about them if they go to somewhere where it snows or it rains a lot. Or, I don't know, they're going to a college in the woods or, or something. Or, you know, if you have a dog, buy a Subaru. have a dog. Yeah. It's officially, Subaru. like, you can't even buy a Subaru now unless you have a dog. Like, you have to show up the picture of your dog or your dog. I, actually, it. I think you have to bring your dog to the dealership, isn't it? Like, yeah, we've we've been scanned policy? before with people yeah. uh, bringing anybody, their pictures. Anybody can download a picture of a dog off of Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do we know that's your dog? You have to bring the dog and, and bring, bring, the bring, dog. Your, bring the license and everything. <laughs> All right. The other one that I had for just for a day uh, was the Kia EV9. Um, and you know, when I first posted about this on Instagram, I think when it, when it arrived, I mistakenly said that it's the, the only three row crossover EV. Um, but I, I did of course, forget about the Rivian R1S. Um, so the, the EV nine, um, is a more affordable, the first, I wouldn't call That's it affordable, more, more affordable, more, more affordable than the Rivian. It's certainly a lot cheaper than the Rivian. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's also, you know, not designed to be, you know, a hardcore off-road lifestyle vehicle. It This is, you know, very much intended to be a mainstream electric alternative to Ford Explorer, Toyota Highlander, 
Kia Telluride, <laughs> um, you know, and any number of other three row crossovers that are out there, VW Atlas, you know, things like that. Um, and, you know, I, I've really liked it ever since I saw it in concept form in what, 2021 at the LA Auto Show, I think was when they showed it. Uh, and then they revealed oh, yeah. the uh, the production version um, earlier this year at the New York show. Uh, you know, it's it's got a cool look to it. Um, it's roomy. You know, I uh, looked through the, the specs. It's for all intents and purposes, you know, the same size as a Telluride. It has like half a cubic foot less of cargo space, um, you know, but about the same amount of passenger volume for the three rows. You know, you can put a couple of people in that third row without too much difficulty. It's the third row is kind of in between what you would find in a regular Toyota Highlander and a Grand Highlander. Not as not as roomy as a Grand Highlander, but better than a standard Highlander. Um, the uh, you know, the one that I had was the the top of the line GT line. Um, which sticker price on that is $73,900. But, you know, I think you can, you know, if you decide you don't need the black wheels and all of the other details that are on the GT line, you know, getting something like the wind all wheel drive, you know, $10,000 less, um, you know, and it's got the same performance, same, same 379 horsepower. Uh, The GT line does have more torque. So you get 443 foot pounds of torque in the wind and the land all wheel drive 516 in the GT line. And eh, you don't really need that extra. 50 yeah, you, don't, you don't, you don't need that. It's, it's not going to make a difference. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, uh, the, you know, frankly, I think, you know, for most people, the, I haven't driven the rear wheel drive version yet, which is 201 horsepower. That might actually be enough because of the torque you have for, for most people's needs, but you know, the, the all wheel drive, the, the wind or the land all wheel drive, you know, for 63,000, uh, starting at 64,000, you know, is probably a better choice, uh, for most people. Uh, and the, you know, the, the base version, the light rear wheel drive, which has a smaller battery, um, and 230 miles of range. So the, the other one, the other models all have a 99.8 kilowatt hour battery, the light gets a 76.1 kilowatt hour battery. That one starts at 55,000. Um, for now, the the EV9 is still built in Korea, uh, but sometime in mid-2024, they will start production of it uh, at the Kia plant in West Point, Georgia, at which point it will be fully eligible for the IRA tax credits. For now, if you lease one, um, Kia is doing the pass-through of the tax credit on leases as a as a commercial vehicle sale. So you can get a better, much better deal on a lease at the moment than if you buy. Uh, and that's probably the best choice. And frankly, I, I really like driving this thing. Yeah. The, but they're really nice. I had the yeah. Korean one and I was like, I know there's some things that are missed, you know, it's not going to be as 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 sporty and the suspension's going to be a bit softer, but I was like, this is really nice. Yeah, it was great to drive. Um, and you know, not you know, it's not as efficient as the the smaller cars like the Ionic Five or the the EV6, but you know, it's also got a lot more frontal area and it's bigger and heavier. Um, but it averaged, you know, I I used it to drive um, mostly highway driving uh, at you know seventy five miles an hour uh, to uh, to an event I was going to on Wednesday, and it was averaging two point eight miles per kilowatt hour, uh, which 
is about what I've gotten with an EV6 doing the same thing in the past. Uh, so with an all-wheel drive EV6. So, you know, it's it's not it's not that bad. It's rated at 270 miles for the GT line of range. Um, the wind and the land are rated at 280. And the light uh, rear-wheel drive with the big battery is 304 miles. Um, there's really only one complaint I have about this car. Dun, dun, dun. Can can you guess what it might be? Um, I don't know. So there, as with most cars, as with most EVs, there's a stop-start button on here, which you know some some EV manufacturers like Tesla and <gasps> oh, Lucid yeah. and others don't have. <laughs> Uh, they, they just don't bother with a stop start button. You just get in, you know, if you've got the key fob on you, you put it into, you know, hit, hit drive and, and go. Um, Kia decided to have a start stop button. In most cases, including on the EV6, this is usually mounted somewhere on the dash where you can see it and reach it. On the EV9, for some reason, you know, they have a stock on the right hand side of the steering wheel, which has, uh, you twist the end to put it, you know, to go from, uh, park to drive, you twist it one way, you twist it the other way to go to reverse. Um, and um, this, the stock, you know, aside from the end of it, you twist, the stock is fixed in place. So it's not like a turn signal stock or a wiper stock or anything. It's fixed in place. And on the inboard end of that stock is the start stop button. So you kind of have to reach around the steering wheel to hit this button. It's in a very awkward location. And, you know, I commented about that online and, and James Bell from Kia said, hey, you get used to it after a while. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think you get used to everything after a while, whether you like it or it's, not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's still a less than ideal location. I, yeah. I don't know what they were thinking, putting it there. That's I've never seen any other manufacturer put their start stop button in such a location. Um, but, you know, I mean, you only do that once every drive. So, you know, the rest of the time driving is great. Um, you know, 5,000 pounds towing capability, you know, you're probably only going to get about, depending on the trip on the trailer, maybe 150 miles doing that range. But um, the, you know, the one that I had, the GT line had the second row captain's chairs. Uh, so six passenger, but you can also get it with a second row bench for seven passengers. Um, and uh, it charges very quickly uh it'll charge at 240 kilowatts because it's the egmp platform uh so it'll go to from 10 to 80 percent in under 25 minutes on a, on a suitable charger um uh, i charged it I, I charged it from uh just about 50 percent state of charge um and when i got to the the electrify america charger and it charged at 165 kilowatts uh for a while um, so that was, that was pretty quick. You know, if you're starting from a lower state of charge, it, it will charge from 240 at uh, 240 kilowatts. Um, but you know, for, you know, quick one day with it, uh, I was really impressed and there's almost, there's also even a, a sort of a frunk in there. It's, it's a little bit bigger than what you find in the other Kias and Hyundais, uh, which basically have a little compartment that's just big enough to hold your charging cable. Um, this one, um, does have, uh, I think about three cubic feet of space in the front. Uh, so, so not, not bad. You know, it's not great, but it's not bad. You can stash Protect some other stuff in there. Your laptop. Yeah. <laughs> your laptop bag. Yeah. 
or you just put that inside the car. You don't really need that, but yeah, I I really liked it. You know, for for one day. No, I I really like the EV9. Um, I I you know it's 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 tough when you see the 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 uh, ID buzz. You're like, oh, well, it's going to be here next year, and you're just like, all right, the EV9 is cool looking, but doesn't have that nostalgia that the buzz has, and it's not a van. But also, you're like, well, I got just as much, and it's, it's probably going to be cheaper, and I can get that in, in a you know a few months. <laughs> <laughs> this is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get on to some other stuff. So, um, last week, um, as, as of the time we're recording this, all three of the Detroit automakers have got tentative agreements with their, uh, with the UAW, uh, for new contracts and they're all going back to work. Um, I think Ford people are voting now and Stellantis and GM will be voting in the next couple of days. Um, and we've started to see some of the details of the contracts uh, being published by the UAW, or at least the tentative agreements. Not it's not fully a contract until the the workers all vote to ratify. But uh, we got some of the details, and one of the interesting details, particularly from the Stellantis um, uh, tentative agreement, is further confirmation of a Ram midsize pickup. Um, when I talked to Mike Koval, who's the, now the former head of the Ram brand at the New York Auto Show this spring, uh, and there, that interview is somewhere in the Wheel Bearings archives. Um, Mike said, "Yeah, we're we're definitely working on a midsize truck, but wouldn't give any other details." Well, now we have a little bit of detail. Um, the uh, uh, the uh, contract includes you know commitments from Stellantis for nineteen billion dollars in investments in production. Um, through the four and a half years of the contract. Um, and the first one listed on here is the Belvedere assembly plant, which was recently idled. That was where they were building the Jeep Cherokee. Uh, it was idled earlier this year. Um, and uh, that was actually where UAW president Sean Fain started his career uh, working on the line at Belvedere. Um, and coming in 2027, which is a long way out, uh, is an all-new mid-size truck uh, projected eighty to hundred thousand units to be built at Belvedere. Rampage. Well, no, the Rampage is a compact. Oh yeah, and yeah, you know, I I was at uh, a Ram briefing. Okay, yeah, but uh, you week. know, everything, a lot of things were compact once upon a time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, if you compare it to mid-size trucks of the nineteen nineties, the Rampage and the you know the others, you know, would probably qualify as 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 midsize by those standards. Uh, but, you know, for, compare, so what we're talking about here is a truck, 
you know, similar in size, you know, to the Jeep Gladiator, uh, which is the other midsize truck that, that Stellantis makes, but it's not really that practical as a pickup uh, or the Ford um, Ranger or Chevy Colorado, GMC Canyon, Toyota Tacoma, Nissan Frontier. That's the, that's the market we're talking about here. So a Ram midsize pickup truck uh, coming in 2027. Um, some other uh, things that are coming. Um, let's see for Toledo where they build the, the Wrangler and the Gladiator. Um, the current generation JL Wrangler uh, continues until at least 2028, uh, wow. as does the, uh, the reference for both the Wrangler and Gladiator. So no all new Wrangler until then. Um, the uh, the plug-in hybrids are getting an upgrade in 2025, uh, and that includes a plug-in hybrid Gladiator in 2025. Oh, cool. Um, new... Uh, the new generation Wrangler uh, in 2028 will include uh, a BEV and something that is referred to in here as REPB. And this, this is a, an acronym. This is a Stellantis acronym um, that uh, back in 2021, June of 2021, did you watch the Stellantis EV day that they had? Oh, gosh, Probably. I mean, what else was I doing? <laughs> well, one of the things they, they hinted at then was, you know, they talked about, you know, they're going to do an electric Ram pickup. Um, and at that, you know, that's that's when they first announced that. And they talked about, you know, a range extended paradigm breaker. And I think that's what this REPB stands for. And we'll come back to this in a few minutes because paradigm breaker. Yeah. So it's it's not quite like a plug-in hybrid, although it kind is. Of. It's 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 a plug-in series hybrid. <laughs> we'll we'll come back to this in a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Um, in uh, in 2027, um, the Warren truck plant, where they build um, the Ram the Ram 1500 Classic, which is the the previous generation Ram. That continues through 2024, but it's also where they build um, the wagon, Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Um, in 2025, um, there will be an REPB Wagoneer. So that's this range extended version of Wagoneer on the Stella frame platform. Uh, in 2027, there's going to be a BEV Wagoneer. So a full battery electric version of the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer coming in 2027. Um, and then Sterling Heights Assembly, where they build the the current generation Ram 1500, the newer Ram 1500s, um, that's get those are getting an update for 2024, um, and also the the Bev, which we already heard about earlier this year, the uh, um, the Ram Revolution or the Ram Rev, and uh, the REPB, um, those are both coming in 2024, um, and then um, there's also uh, battery electric Durango, Dodge Durango coming in 2026. Um, and, um, new generation Grand Cherokee, including a battery electric version in 2027. So lots of interesting stuff coming from, uh, from Stellantis, a lot of electrification being added to Jeep and Ram. Um, no mentions of, uh, Dodge or, um, Chrysler in here. But that's probably because all of the, aside from the Durango, all of the current 
remaining Dodge and Chrysler products are built in Canada. And so those don't fall under this contract. They fall under the Unifor contract. And those, the Dodge Charger, the Dodge Charger EV and the Chrysler Airflow and other stuff, those are all scheduled to be built in Windsor, Ontario. So they're not, that's why they're not listed here. Um, all right. So let's, let's jump to, uh, 2025 Ram. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so Ram had a backgrounder a few days ago, uh, where they gave us a, a preview. Uh, and this, this was actually supposed to be revealed at the LA auto show, uh, next week. Um, but Stellantis decided to save some money and cancel their plans to go to SEMA, uh, the LA Auto Show and CES this year. Um, so they're d- j- just doing these reveals online. Um, and there's been photos, spy photos floating around of uh, cam- semi camouflaged Rams for a while now. Um, and basically, this is a mid cycle refresh, a, a fairly major mid cycle refresh for the Ram, which came uh its current form the current generation the dt debuted in 2018 um two big things for this no more v8s the hemi v8s are are gone gone from the ram 1500 um in their place they get um hurricane inline six cylinders the same inline six that debuted on the wagoneer grand wagoneer last year um 420 horsepower for the the standard hurricane, the high output 540 horsepower, both significantly more than the outgoing V8 engines. Um, What do you think about that? If it has more, then that's fine. And you're also saving weight. I think, you know, we, you know, Oh, we got the displacement of a V8. I mean, at some point the, I mean, that was great back in the day before we could create efficient V6s with turbos on them that, uh, that deliver well the same power with less weight so you should be happy as a person <laughs> <laughs> so you know one of the things that goes away with the v8 you know i mean the hellcat v8s those those are ending production in december no more hellcats um and part of this announcement is that um you know tim Kaniskis, the head of ram brand and, and also dodge um said you know we are putting the TRX name on the shelf uh, for now. So he didn't say it's never coming back. He didn't say it is coming back. It might be coming back. But for now, they're putting it on the shelf. In its place, they're going to basically take the TRX that we have today with some minor tweaks to the suspension to accommodate a lighter engine and putting the high output um, hurricane six cylinder in there with 540 horsepower. Uh, so this, instead of being a, um, a competitor for the Ford F-150 Raptor R, it'll be more of a competitor to the standard Raptor, which uses a, an EcoBoost V6 with 450 horsepower. So it's going to be 90 horsepower more than the, the base Raptor. Um, and they're calling it the RHO. Raptor Ram high output. All right, Ram. Apparently, it's <laughs> it's not intended to actually specifically stand for anything, but obviously, it, you know, Ram high output. Ram high output. It doesn't quite have the same yeah, same ring not, to it as TRX, though, does it? Uh, doesn't have a doesn't have any sort of uh, 
as uh, dinosaur references. Boo. No. <laughs> um, they also, um, when, when they announced the Ram Rev earlier this year, they announced a new tungsten trim level because, you know, apparently you can't have enough luxury in full-size pickups these days. So they had to step it up and go from limited to tungsten. And so they're adding a, a gas-powered tungsten as well. Tungsten. And, and that's that's got, you know, a new front fascia. Um, the, um, uh, you know, it's a slightly bigger grill, slimmer headlights. And instead of the traditional steel bumper, um, you know, that you find on pickup trucks, you know, it's got more of a, a fared in, you know, there's, there's a steel bumper underneath, but there's a plastic cover over it. You know, so it's more arrow, but it looks more, looks a little more premium. I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, we don't have enough references to tungsten in the world. So go for it. Why not? I mean, people are <laughs> buying these things. They're never, they're, they're rarely hauling anything with them. They're using them as luxury vehicles. Ram might as well. They might as well try to get as much money out of these folks as possible. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, as you know, they're, they're, these, these pickup trucks are paying for, you know, EVs. Um, down the line this is the last hurrahs for a lot of these automakers you know ford uh uh chevy or ford gm stellantis you know they're going to try to sell as many as these like high uh profit margin pickup trucks as possible and so throwing it like just a throwing some more fancy things on a truck and giving it a a wacky name that's i mean that's 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 good business to be honest because <laughs> people are gonna buy it i mean <laughs> yeah some some people definitely will you know and yeah. there's 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 a lot of profit margin in these in these high-end trucks you know i mean they're they're probably you know the the incremental cost to build this versus you know uh say a lariat you know is maybe i don't know five seven thousand dollars and they charge like thirty thousand dollars more for yeah, it it's, so it's a big pile of cash yeah so um refreshed regular gas rams new new engines they still have the penistar the classic penistar v6 as the base engine in these uh but probably the vast majority of these will be sold with the hurricane uh inline six which is way more powerful uh, more powerful than the V8s um, and uh, should give a little bit better fuel economy, give you, you know, an extra two, maybe three miles per gallon compared to the Hemis. Um, so these are going to be coming early like in, in Q1 of 2024. So a few months from now. Later in the year, dun, about, dun, the, dun. about the same time as the Ram Rev arrives, there will be something called the Ram 1500 Ram Charger, which you know is only a little bit redundant. Um, <laughs> so the the Ram Charger is this this truck that we've been hearing, you know, that we've been that's been hinted at for the past two and a half years now. This is the the REPB that I was talking about, and when um, when they first mentioned it in 2021 you know all they said was you know range extended paradigm breaker but they didn't give us any details on exactly what that means well now we know what it means they actually showed us the the chassis of this thing 
So first, first off, you know, the, what they're, um, you know, Stellantis has four different EV platforms that they're developing um, from there's still the, there's three car car slash crossover platforms, Stella small, Stella mid and Stella large, um, which, you know, are refer to the sizes of the vehicles and the size of the batteries and performance and so on. The Stella small stuff is pretty much only for Europe. We're, we're not, I don't think we're at least right now, there's no plans for any Stella small vehicles in North America, but not we will get the, not even the Fiat 500. That's Stella medium or something. Uh, that's a good question. I think that might actually predate the Stella small oh, architecture. Yeah, because they've been that's still an older architecture. Okay. That's um, okay. it's like so, the, it's like the, the 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 bolt. Yeah. So right right now, there's no there's nothing confirmed on Stella Small for North America. The first Stella Small vehicle is uh, the the Jeep Avenger that they launched earlier this year. Um, the little the little crossover. EV uh, crossover that they launched for Jeep in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, there's no plans to bring that to North America. We will get Stella mid and Stella large vehicles. And the first of the Stella large vehicles are going to be that charger. um, And, um, um, and also the, uh, the Jeep Wagoneer S uh, that's coming. Um, And it's not the, the Jeep recon. I'm not sure if that's a Stella large or a Stella mid. Uh, but we'll we'll find out sometime next year. But the um, the Stella the fourth one is the Stella Frame. This is for body on frame vehicles, and so this kind of goes kind of halfway in between what Ford did with the Lightning and what GM did with their Ultium full size trucks. So on the Lightning, Ford has a unique frame for the EVs because it's got for the Lightning because it's got to support this big battery but the frame rails are still the same width as they are on the gas f-150s which limits the size of the battery that's why the extended range f-150 only has 130 kilowatt hour battery pack so it, it limits the size of the battery you can put in there gm with theirs with the silverado and the hummer and the sierra they created they basically threw away the frame entirely and they've got a unibody architecture that has integrated frame rails that are pushed out to the outer perimeter of the trucks. And so that allowed them to put in a much wider battery. And so that's why they can put in a battery with 212 kilowatt hours in the Silverado and Hummer and Sierra. Um, for, uh, but there's no, there's no separate frame on those trucks. Stellantis kept a separate frame like Ford but they created a unique frame setup. So on the gas uh, Ram 1500s, if you look at the frame, the frame rails basically go straight back all the way from the front bumper to the rear bumper. They're, they're, they run completely parallel to each other. Um, and they're, they're fully boxed and everything, but they run parallel to each other. On the Stella frame, once you get past the front wheels, the frame rails actually turn outwards and go out towards the outer perimeter and then cut back in, in ahead of the rear axle. So now you have that same kind of width in between the frame rails that you have, or close to the same width that GM has on the Altium trucks. So they can put much larger batteries in there. So that's where, you know, on the, the Ram Rev that they unveiled in April, um, they can have a battery that's up to 229 kilowatt hours 
in there. So they've got two battery sizes in the Rev, 100, uh, 168 and 229 kilowatt hours for 350 and 500 miles of range, respectively. The the Ram, um, re, uh, the Ram charger uses a version of that frame, but instead of that 168 kilowatt hour battery, they have a 92 kilowatt hour battery. But wait and, for it. And then behind that battery, there's a 27 gallon gas tank. And sitting on top of the front motor, so it still has the same two electric motors that you have on the Rev for like 600 and I think 630 horsepower, if I can recall correctly. 663. Um, so 663. Yes, you're right. And 615 foot pounds of torque. Um, but sitting on top of the front motor, you will find a 3.6 liter Pentastar V6 that is not in any way mechanically connected to any of the wheels. They're bolted to the back of that where it would normally be bolted up to a transmission. There's just a generator that produces 130 kilowatts continuous, 190 kilowatts peak, um, and acts as a range extender. So running on just the battery, the Ram charger will run about uh, 145 miles on electricity, which will suit most people's needs just fine on a daily just basis. Around, the, around town, yeah. chillaxing, hitting, hitting I mean, the... Even even for Depot. somebody that's even for somebody that's using it as a work truck, yeah, you know, that's going to meet most most con, con, commercial customers' needs just fine because most of most of the time, you know, these things are not driving hundreds of miles to a job site. You know, they're driving you know 10, 15, 20, maybe thirty miles, and so you have enough enough uh, energy in that battery to drive back and forth and to provide off onboard power. You know, so you can get 10 kilowatts of onboard power uh, from this thing, just like you can in a uh, in a Lightning or or a Silverado. Um, but when that battery charge gets down to about 20 percent or so, somewhere between 15 and 20 percent, what uh, Tim Kaniscus um, vehemently refers to as the onboard charger, do not if you if you tell Tim Kaniscus that this is a plug-in hybrid, he will give you a very angry look. He does not want you to call this a hybrid, uh, but it is, it's a plug-in series hybrid. <laughs> so it's different from the kind, you know, it's, it's a different. He has, uh... <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, it's a different kind of hybrid from what you find in a Toyota or a Ford or, you know, pretty much any other hybrid, a but P-Shev. it's a series. Yeah. It's a, it's a series hybrid. It's a P-Shev. Yeah. Like your... <laughs> um, so, you know, because there's no mechanical connection, this is closer to this is the closest analog to this is the original Chevy Volt concept from 2007, not the production Volt, but the concept, which is the I3 or the I3, it's a BMW I3 or the Fisker Karma. The Fisker Karma also is the same thing. So there's no like mechanical. Con- yeah, no mechanical connection between the the engine and the wheels, um, unlike in the in the production Volts. Um, so. With uh, with that 27-gallon gas tank they say, and a full charge, they say you can go 690 miles in the Ram Charger. That's a long way. Yes. No one drives 690 miles just for funsies. That's well, 13, not, 14 hours of driving. Not, not, not without a couple of pit stops. Yeah. I mean, most, well, I mean, I guess you could, you know, they have they have these bottles that, you know, uh, pilots you use. That, yeah, you, you know, can. 
He can whiz in a bottle. Yeah, you know, general aviation pilots, you know, use these bottles when they're flying sometimes because, you know, these small planes, they have nowhere to go. Um, but most people are, you know, are going to stop somewhere along the lines. Yeah. But you can go 690 miles with this. And according to the chief engineer, um, you can go um, with towing a 14,000 pound trailer, a big, a big trailer. You should be able to do about 300 miles with a big trailer and you can stop and get gas. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. You can stop and get gas. You can stop and charge it up. Um, it's also got 2,625 pound payload, which is twice as much payload as the uh, Chevy Silverado four uh, WT uh, EV. Um, and um, so this is kind of the best of both worlds. It's, it's, it pretty much, I mean, the push for electric trucks was always a little bit weird, especially as the at, for the for the traditional electric truck owner, because those folks don't want EVs. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it comes down to is um, they don't want EVs. Like the Rivian made sense because it's a lifestyle vehicle. It's essential. It's essentially a really fancy. It's for Subaru people who have more money and want a truck. Um, the F-150, the Silverado, those folks are, they still want big boom, boom, gas trucks that go and do gas truck things. And if you have a fleet company, you know, that $40,000 price tag was pretty, which make made sense. Fifth, but they kicked it up to $50,000 for the, uh, for the Ford Lightning Pro. Then it made a lot less sense. And so, you know, the fact that Ford's having problems selling these trucks isn't really that surprising, to be honest. Um, it's a great truck for, for what it is, but yeah. Um, this, on the other hand, even though, you know, most people who probably buy this will never tow 14,000 pounds or do the thing that they think they're going to do with this truck, this makes more sense. Whether or not they'll sell a lot of them is, is yet to be seen just because the people can be like, well, if I don't have to buy this, I can still buy a regular Ram, you know, 1500 and, and, and be fine. But if they do think, well, you know, I can get this and, and I can drive around town and, and EV mode, 90% of the time I'm going to be driving around in EV mode. Eventually the, the truck's going to turn on because now my gas is old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and this is true, you know, with, you know, with the Volt and with the, uh, uh, with the I3, you know, every once in a while, you know, it'll, it'll run the engine for a few minutes to use up some of the gas in the tank and to, you know, keep the fluids circulating and everything. Yeah. So I think, I think what's going to happen is folks who buy these are going to realize they're not really using the gas all that much, unless they are, you know, the people who buy electric trucks and actually do big truck things in it. They're, they're, they're towing a boat, they're towing, you know, horses, they're towing, you know, something, they're actually towing something to a place far away. Um, and so for those people, this is kind of, this gives them that ability to, to say, Hey, you know, I'm doing my, my part for cleaner tomorrow, but sometimes I need to take my horses, you know, 300 miles to a show. And when I do, the last thing I want is my horses to be sitting in the back of a truck for 45 minutes in a parking lot with no air moving mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can feel, you know, so this, yeah, I think this is, well, it's going to be pricey. That's a that's a well, big and, battery, and and you're ending a V6, and you're just like, okay. Well, and and this is you know, I mean, they're they're not talking about pricing yet, because um, this thing is still a year away from production. It's not going to come till fourth quarter of 2024. But um, Kaniscus made you know made an interesting comment. He said, you know, when we asked about pricing or cost, you know, he said, well, look at it this way: 
This has 70 kilowatt hour smaller battery than what's in the, the standard range rev. And it's actually 76 kilowatt hours because it's 168 kilowatt hours in the standard range rev, 92 in this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, conservatively, you know, the batteries right now are probably costing at least $120 a kilowatt hour. So that works out to a little over $9,000 in reduced cost just from the battery. So the the battery in the the RAM charger, $9,000 less than in the in the uh, the rev, the base rev, and mm-hmm. considerably more when you compare it to the extended range rev. And if you look at you know the Pentastar V6, you know this is an engine that's you know been around for a while. It's, it's paid off. You know the cost of that engine plus a generator, fuel tank, you know other ancillary stuff. Probably you know, and I'm talking you know the, their production cost, not not the pricing, but the production cost. Probably somewhere between four and five thousand uh, dollars, and that's even that may be high. Yeah. So you're looking at four to five thousand dollars less to manufacture this truck than the standard range version of the Rev. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could conceivably actually be cheaper than the battery electric version. Oh yeah, I think it'll be a little bit cheaper than the battery. Well, I, actually, I'm not so sure. I, I maybe think, it'll it might be on I, par. I, I I think they'll actually probably price it the same because yeah. of the extra convenience you have. You know, the longer range, you know, they'll, they'll probably price it the same and take that profit margin. Yeah. But, you know, they could, they could conceivably price it cheaper. So even though you're adding more hardware because you're taking away so much battery um, and you, but yet you're still leaving a very large battery. I mean, 92 kilowatt hours is bigger than most batteries in EVs today. Yeah. That's nothing to sneeze at. And that's the thing is that, you know, these large trucks in order to be drip you know in order to get these insane ranges you're you're driving around with this very big very you know 200 kilowatt hour battery pack that's that's a lot of weight it's not like a gas gas tank where the more you drive the the the, you know the the less it weighs no matter how even if you have 20 miles of range that battery pack still still the same gasoline only weighs 6.8 pounds per per gallon yeah so you're still dragging (laughs) these giant batteries around for, and, and most of the time, again, 90% of your driving, you're not really going all that far. So you're, yeah. you're just dragging around this giant battery all the time. And, and take, you know, 700 or 76 kilowatt hours of battery. That's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of close to a thousand pounds of battery yeah. that you're taking out of this truck. Yeah. And you're, you're probably adding maybe three to 400 pounds for the range extender. So you're having a net net weight savings, a net cost savings. Um, this might actually be the best choice to buy instead of the full battery electric. For trucks, uh, yeah. I did, that's the thing is that you, because everyone has this idea that they need, I need 400 miles, I need 300 miles. And again, unless you're doing like really big giant truck things, I don't know, get a diesel. Um, but... <laughs> You probably don't need all that, so this makes this makes a lot more sense. I think it's going to be easier to sell to truck people, to be honest, yeah. because they're like, well, it still has a V6 in it, and what they're going to find out is they're going to buy a home charger. They're going to realize it's way cheaper to drive this thing in EV mode all the time, 
except when you know they go to the lake or you know they have to you know they go to the dump or whatever i i guess the dump wouldn't be hundreds of miles away <laughs> but <laughs> Depends what um, you're you dumping. Know, I know that there you go. <laughs> bodies, you know, if you're dumping bodies, you want to get as far away from your home as possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I think they're, they're going to realize like, oh, this is it's so much cheaper to drive this. Plus, it still looks like my Ram. Plus, you know, when people are like, oh, you can't charge it. Yeah, I can. I can charge fourteen. You know, or I'm sorry, you can't tow. I can tow tow fourteen hundred pounds or fourteen thousand pounds. Sorry, and go almost seven hundred miles. So yeah. I think this is going to be an easier sell for the truck folks. Um, I think it makes a lot more sense for truck folks, um, especially when you're, again, the 200 kilowatt hour battery packs are just ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. For the, yeah, it, it is pretty bonkers. It's just so much weight. You're just, yeah. just dragging around in order to feel like, well, okay, I'm safe. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm like, Where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so this is coming about a year from now. Um, let's see what else. Um, oh, I guess one, one thing I forgot to mention, um, about all of the, the new Ram, you know, the updated Rams, uh, is, uh, the interior, um, you know, they've done some upgrades to the interior and, you know, the Ram trucks are already, already have the nicest interiors of any truck anyway, but they've they ride done some, the nicest too. Yeah. And they've, they've done some further upgrades, all of the electrified, the Ram charger and the rev, all get standard air suspension, four wheel air suspension. Ooh. Um, and so, you know, they'll be able to lower themselves down at highway speeds. And you go, when you put it in off road mode, you get some extra ground clearance, um, good, good ride quality. Um, and um, they have a new 14 and a half inch uh, display. So the, the, the standard display now for the Uconnect 5 system is the 12 inch that was optional before. Um, and that's been upgraded with higher resolution. And then the larger 14 and a half inch display, uh, is even bigger, but it still has dedicated buttons on either side for the climate control. Yay. Um, there's six USB ports at the bottom of the center stack, uh, three USB A's and three USB C's plus another four in the rear seat. So you can charge all the stuff, everything you've ever wanted to charge, um, just, and just take it out to your Ram, your Ram charger. Yeah, and they'll have their the name. <laughs> yeah, and their active drive assist uh, will now have hands-free capability to uh, going up against Blue Cruise and Super Cruise. Which again? Oh, there's a new passenger screen too. Oh yeah, you can get the the optional passenger screen like you get in the Jeeps. In the Which I don't Grand know. I'm still I don't know. I'm still not sold on those for. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I took my wife somewhere, you know, in a Grand Cherokee or Wagoneer. And, said why is this here i don't, I don't, I don't that, need this yeah that's i i keep trying to upsell it like i'm like i'm like i'm selling day old fish at a restaurant i'm like hey the fish is on special i'm I was like hey look at this passenger screen you can watch movies you can adjust yeah. things and they're like cool 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 and they just pick up their phone and just keep doing their thing and i'm like all right well i tried i tried yeah. i tried automakers i mean you know the passenger can you know interf interact with the um the navigation and other stuff, you know, right in front of them instead of, you know, reaching over six inches to the other screen. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah, but you can, I did watch it again. I, I, I did watch well, a movie in a Mercedes, guess, um, in, in Europe once. Well, I watched like five, 10 minutes of a movie. I'm like, I guess this is kind of cool. Well, I guess, you know, the, the advantage of having it directly in front of the passenger is, you know, the passenger is going to be the only one interacting with it because the driver is not going to be able to reach it and they can't see it anyway. Cause the filter yeah. on there. So because it's in front of the passenger, you know, passenger can, you know, type stuff in 
on the screen instead of, um, you know, when they're searching for something instead of having to use voice. So there is that. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on uh, from Ram. So um, updates for the Ram, the Ram 1500s, um, the Hyundai Ionic six, um, one of my favorite EVs um, is it's- getting a lot cheaper for 2024 model year. Woo, end of the year savings. Um, well, it's not just end of the year savings. I mean, it, they actually you know cut the sticker prices, so it's not just discounts. I mean, they actually oh. cut the prices for the new model year by nice. up to forty one hundred dollars, uh, which is pretty big savings. Um, the, it's a good car. Yeah, it is. It's a fantastic car. So the the SE standard range now, uh, rear wheel drive, uh, which has I think about two hundred and forty miles of range. Um, it starts at thirty eight thousand six fifteen, which is four thousand one hundred dollars less than before, um, and uh, that's that's including destination. Um, the uh, SE and SEL rear wheel drive, the extended range versions, start at forty three thousand five sixty five and forty six three sixty five. That SEL rear drive, that's probably kind of the sweet spot, um, and you know because you. That's got the longest range, like 360 mile range. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got most of the features, you know, pretty much all the features you're really going to want. You know, you can get the limited, but, you know, it's got less range because it's got the bigger wheels. Um, if you need all wheel drive, you know, those are available too for an extra 2,500 bucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the that SEL rear wheel drive is kind of the, the sweet spot here. And what's great, it, Hyundai makes money on the TVs. Yeah. They, I, I actually asked them, we're like, well, yeah, they're like, no, we make, we're making money on our EVs. We're not. <laughs> Which is kind of a rarity in this business, at least for yeah, legacy automakers. Like, we don't know what everyone else is doing, but we're making money. <laughs> yeah. Now, whether they're still making money at these new prices, I don't know, but. Making less money? Yeah. Fewer monies? Yeah. Well, we'll see. They don't seem concerned. Yeah. <laughs> when I talk to them, we're like, no, nah, that's fine. <laughs> Um, okay. Porsche, um, uh, you know, they're part of the Volkswagen group. Uh, a few years ago, VW consolidated all their software engineers from across the entire group into a new business unit called Cariad. That's going to do software for all the different VW group brands, including Porsche. Yeah. That's not working out so well. <laughs> it's been a mess. You could say that they've had, they've changed, changed CEOs a couple times. They've, uh, changed most of their management. Um, they're about to lay off 2,000 people from Cariad. Um, but um, uh, for 2025, the uh, the folks at Porsche essentially gotten so frustrated with uh, Cariad being either delivering bad software or delivering it late or both that uh, um, they have decided to adopt uh, Android Automotive on Porsches starting in 2025. So you will have Google Maps, uh, Google Assistant, the Google Play Store, all that stuff with a a Porsche skin on it in your 2025 Porsche. It's like when Apple decided to drop a power PC for Intel. Like they're like, we can't, come on, IBM. Is IBM and Motorola like, come on, guys, let's get together. And they just kept getting farther, falling further and further behind because everyone else was on Intel. They're like, fine, fine, fine. 
and now they're on M1. You know, they have their own system, but at yeah, some I mean, point you, know, you can't, you can't like if if someone's not delivering and it's making you look bad, you're like, you know what? We're just gonna we're just gonna work with somebody else who everyone else is doing. And 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 maybe someday Cariad will produce the the M1, you know, the Apple Silicon of automotive software. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Give them some time, maybe. Or or yeah. they might just use Google forever. <laughs> yeah, they right, you know, Audi move over to it, and then Volkswagen, and then Seat, and again and forever. And it, what, what what's interesting about this, yeah, you know, is that for a long time Porsche was one of the last automakers to support Android Auto. Um, you know, they, they were they, so in they, on Apple. Yeah, they they supported. You know, well, I mean, a lot of Porsche customers are Apple, Apple users because they're yeah, more affluent. Um, you know, and they they supported CarPlay early on, but for a long time refused to to add Android Auto, and then finally added it, and now they're going all in on it. Yeah, you know, and when was it last year? I think at Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, when they showed this next generation version of um of carplay that you know would run across all the screens in the car and everything and control your cluster and all that stuff um you know i think they i think one of the logos that they put up there was porsche and a lot of people were expecting porsche to probably be one of the first brands to adopt that but now they're going with uh going with android automotive so well first i mean i think the biggest problem is apple's really difficult to deal with Yes. Just, just as a, if you're a developer, if you're a hardware maker, Apple is just notoriously difficult to deal with. I've talked to a couple automakers who, like, a couple of people at a couple automakers who can't, I can't say who and and what automakers, but dealing with Apple, they're like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, and you know, and and you know, when you, I worked in tech for so long, and you you understand that Apple is just, they want it a very certain way, and it can be, it's a lot. I think for 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 some of these automakers to sort of like give up that much to to Apple, which you know Apple is difficult to deal with because then Apple makes your iPhone and you're like, oh, everything just works. That's why Apple Apple's difficult to deal with because their name's going to be on it and they want it to work as well as your iPhone or your Mac or whatever. It's 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 tightly integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're like, well, but I can just put Android Automotive in here and then just skin it. All right, I'll just do that. Yeah. <laughs> And and you get a lot more flexibility with Google. Yeah. Plus you get Google Maps, which everyone is using. I mean, Apple. I've been using Apple Maps more and more because I found I've, I've found that Google Maps has become um, bad <laughs> <laughs> over the last like six months to a year. I was just like, what's happening to this to this application? Why is did they just lay everyone off in that weird like, hey, let's lay people off because Twitter laid people off? Um, so yeah, so it's it's and so yeah, Apple Maps has been working better than Google Maps, which you know, bizarro world, but sure, why not? <laughs> uh, all right. Um, and then last item for this week, uh, the SEMA show was this past week. Um, none of us went, uh, but as usual, our buddies at TFL did. Uh, Andre was out there, and uh, one of the cool cars that he saw there was the Nissan Safari Z concept. So when I was in Japan, uh, when we toured the Nissan Heritage Center, where they have all kinds of classic Nissan vehicles, uh, including a lot of vehicles from their motorsports history, one of the cars that we saw there was the 240Z that won the East Africa Safari Rally in 1973. 
and it's pretty banged up and I'll, the i'll include uh a link to uh, a photo of it uh but you can see it uh robbie you can see it in the the show notes there um you know they uh the original the one that actually won the rally is still in japan um but a couple of years back uh some folks from nissan built a replica of it and then now they have built a new z concept that is inspired by that original. So it's got kind of the same lighting setup, same color scheme, same livery. Uh, it's been lifted a couple of inches. Um, it's on big wheels and tires. And uh, it would actually be really cool to be able to at least drive this thing. I think it would be a lot of fun because, you know, the new Z is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh love to have a chance to uh to try this thing uh you know running across the desert uh in this thing um and i wonder if they will actually offer a production version of this you know because so many other companies are building you know i mean even lamborghini's got an off-road version of the the huracan yeah i think i i mean i i, I would want them to but i think nissan is still not 100 percent out of the woods financially whereas lamborghini is They've got they've got yeah. Otis money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they get big piles of Otis money, so they can they can make like you know twelve of those. Um, but it's still cool. I mean, I like I like anything that's been safari out. I wanted to safari out that X type, and then I realized I don't care about the X type. Um, so I, st- <laughs> I, I I still have that thing. God, I got to rid of it. I think that was my end of year like thing was giving up that X type. <laughs> Donate yeah, it no, somewhere. This, I yeah, I think I'm just gonna give it to my neighbor. To be honest, he, he's I think I'm actually gonna fix it pay some stuff off and then just trade them for like, I don't know, a sandwich or a burrito <laughs> or a burrito sandwich, maybe some plate of cookies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this thing's on, they've made some custom 17 inch wheels that are styled the same as the ones on the original car, the original rally car. Um, and uh, you've got some uh, Yokohama Geolander uh, mud terrain tires. Um and skid plates and everything. So yeah, it'd be pretty cool to check this thing out, to try this out. Oh yeah. It's totally build one, build your own. Yeah. Start your own rally thing. (laughs) All right. Let's, uh, let's do some listener stuff here. Um, Speaking of which I want to say hi to my neighbor that said hi to me yesterday and said that uh, he's been listening to the show for, couple of years now um and uh thank you for that and and thanks to all the listeners that are supporting us on patreon and and don't forget you can get your um your uh, wheel bearings uh swag your t-shirts and phone cases um on uh, cotton bureau now um and you can if you go to uh, shop.wheelbearings.media you can uh, it'll take you directly to the cotton bureau page with all our stuff and i just added another design the other day that uh somebody had uh was messing around with Dolly and got a little uh little Kia uh hatchback loaded up with mulch. Uh so that one's available now as well if uh, for those that are interested. So we got some got some fun designs on there and and we'll keep adding stuff uh to there as we go along. More mulch related uh t-shirts. Yes. Although I've I've been I had to buy a bunch of uh sand yesterday because I'm putting like a trail like pavers bricks i don't know what they're called pathway walkway yeah like a little walkway and i've i had to buy a bunch of sand and throw it in the back of the kona it's very heavy <laughs> i hurt myself <laughs> well maybe that's what hurt, is that what hurt your back 
No, I was hurt before that. I just kept no. doing it anyway. I'm like, this has to be done because next weekend I won't be here. Um. All right. So first one, and this is a long multi-part one. Um, this is from Vic from Ontario. And I meant to include this one last week and I could not find the email. And Vic was nice enough to send another email reminding me. Uh, so I, I found the text of this one. So, um, so starting off, uh, in our October 1st episode, you talked about your less than stellar experience with the cruise self-driving vehicles. And this was when I was in Austin in September. Uh, seems like they still are quite a bit off the mark. Um, however, they could adjust their business model, target audience, and increase revenue. Uh, they should market their business not <laughs> as a taxi service, but more as an entertainment venue. It would take it would make a great drinking game. You and four of your friends book the ride to a time insensitive a time insensitive destination, i.e., a nightclub that does not close until 3 a.m. You all bring along some roadies for the ride, for the drive. Every time the cruise mobile makes an inefficient move, you drink. The more inefficient it is, the more you drink, and the less you have to spend at the bar. You're 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 pre gaming in your in your cruise. Yeah. So, uh, or you know, you could take use this. Um, you know, when you're going to a football game or something, you know, instead of uh, uh, tailgating at the game, take one of these. Uh, and this this could actually work in Austin. Well, it wouldn't work right now because um, you know, cruise since this email was originally sent. Crews um, had their driverless permit suspended in California, uh, and they've they a couple of days later they decided to pause all driverless operations nationwide uh, in about ten cities, uh, including Austin. But you know, one of the places I went uh, when I was in Austin was to the University of Texas campus, um, and you know, got off right near the the stadium there. But this would be a fun way, potentially a fun way to. Uh, uh, to tailgate, you know, just have, have your friends, you know, in the robo taxi, you know, and it would, it would take you a while to get from downtown. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this is, this could be, this could be interesting. Although I think that Cruz and Waymo and others would probably want to discourage this because they don't really want people making a mess inside the cars. Cause then they got to bring them back to the depot and clean them and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, the, a few years back, um, there was a company that I can't remember now. I think they've long since run out of money and gone out of business, but there was an, an AV startup that was promoting um, these pod like vehicles that could dock together in various combinations. Uh, So, you know, you could have a robo taxi pod um, and then there could be like a Starbucks pod that, you know, if you're, you're on your way to work, you know, and you want a coffee. And so one of the Starbucks pods comes along and docks with your robo taxi pod you can get your coffee and then it leaves and goes off and docks with another robo taxi pod or you could dock it you know if you want to have your your workout while you're on your way to work you could have one that comes along with a treadmill and some other equipment and you could step into that um you know so yeah the this this could be a fun idea if, you know, as long as you don't get sick in the car um, the next part of this um, next multi-part comment is related to electric vehicles. I could yell at the clouds here for a while, but I'll try to keep it to a minimum. I do, however, appreciate your factual coverage of the industry and issues are around lack of infrastructure to fully support uh, this initiative. First, I listen to other podcasts. Well, we won't hold that against you, Vic. Uh, and many of them, I mostly will. from the left coast, are yeah, saying I'm from things. From the left coast, I'm already, saying... holding to... I'm already holding two things against Vic now. 
<laughs> well, when you average it out, though, you know, as a show, we're kind of in the middle of the country or even kind of biased towards the the, the right coast because there's two of us, you know, one in sort of in the middle, one on the East Coast. So we're kind of not anyway. Uh, there's <laughs> and they're saying things like everyone should just switch to an EV right now. There's no need for internal combustion engines anymore. I'm sure this makes them feel like they're saving the planet by yelling this from the rooftops, but I real it really doesn't hold up. Uh, to logic. For one, I'm pretty sure the grid would just melt down tomorrow if everyone went and bought an EV and plugged it in overnight to charge. That could be the case. Mm. Maybe. I think most people, well, I I would like to think that most people would realize that they shouldn't be plugging in until like midnight in order to save money uh, because of tiered pricing. And even then, it's you're not really charging like 100 kilowatts every night. You're charging like seven <laughs> yeah and, and that would be the case for most depend yeah. it would depend on where you are in some places yeah. that it could be problematic but yeah. um second there is no cross-country infrastructure that can support reliable long-distance travel at this point i don't think i could rely 100 percent on anything outside of home charging well in canada i think that's more true than it is here in the states yeah you got um, tesla here that's yeah. pretty much it <laughs> yeah this the supercharger network and and to a lesser degree other networks you know i mean you you can drive across the country it'll just take you some time and um, some some planning that's the problem yes. is like if would you put like your your let's say one of your parents or like your friend who doesn't know anything about evs in an ev and send them from california to new york which one would you do it in where you wouldn't have to get a thousand phone calls from them in order for it to, to happen. And it would be a Tesla. Yeah. Um, third, the range of most cars is not sufficient to support all use cases yet. Uh, yes, it works for the average commute and scooting around town. However, allow me to share an example. I live in Southern Ontario in Canada. Uh, like many other people in this region, we have recreational property up in Northern Ontario that we go to during the non-winter months. The same is true here in Michigan. A lot of people here in you know, in Southeast Michigan and Detroit area, um, you know, have places up in Northern lower Michigan or in the upper peninsula. Um, you head up, you know, I 75 on any, any weekend and you'll see, you know, trains of people pulling their, you know, boats and jet skis in the summertime and their snowmobiles in the wintertime. Um, but we, let's see, uh, cottage country. Let's see. Yeah. Cottage country with lots of lakes and woods and outdoorsy things to do. Our one property on the lake is 600 kilometers away. So that's about a little under 400 miles, around 400 miles. Um, And the other bush property is 900 kilometers away. So about a little over 500 miles, almost 550 miles. These properties are off grid with no effective way to charge an EV. I will periodically travel to the lake property and back in the same day just to check in on something. 1200 kilometers round trip with no dependable charging infrastructure on that route. The same day. That's my biggest concern is, man, you must be tired. <laughs> <laughs> that That is a long that's, way to go in one day. That's a long way to check. You could stay overnight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, a- look at all these fancy people with extra. I live in California. We don't have the generational wealth that like people on the East Coast have that that like, allows you to have multiple houses. So this, I, every time I hear about people who have like, oh, we have like a house here and a house there. And I'm like... Well, wow. keep, keep in mind, we're not we're not talking about you know a place in the Hamptons here. No, you know, no, I'm ta- talking about we're anything, talking about like a, a plot shed, of, a, a plot of woodland, you know, with with the sh- or it may not even have a cottage on it. In in many cases, you know, I know Might people just be a that, shack. Yeah, um, 
you know, so, you know, it's not, it's not that uncommon. Uh, you know, it's not, I mean, you know, it's not cheap, but it's not necessarily that expensive either. Um, exactly. Yeah, but, but it, again, I live in California, yeah. so everything's expensive. Like, True. A, like a, a, a smattering of land 300 miles away is still like just, yeah. yeah, that just seems that's that's so incredibly foreign to me in my little brain. Yeah. So, no, Vic, Vic here, Vic is absolutely correct. Um, you know, for that kind of distance, you know, and especially when you're talking about farther northern Ontario, there's no Tesla superchargers up there. There's no Electrify America or Electrify Canada chargers up there. There's nothing. And so just a guy uh, with a bicycle who'll like pedal and plug it into your car and he's yeah. like, give me back, give me three days. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so for for that example, he's absolutely right. Don't don't buy an EV. You know, Vic should not Vic should not be driving an EV. Well, not to um, that, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that is an absolutely legitimate case. And that's also true across much of the northern United States as well. You live in the Dakotas or Montana or, you know, uh, Wyoming or Idaho. You know, if you are sticking to the interstates, you will find some chargers along those interstates, you know, and you'll be able to make a straight run across. But as soon as you get off those interstates and you get off into those rural areas, there is nothing in terms of charging infrastructure out there. Because then, it, no matter, like, let's say something happens, you don't have a backup plan. There's nothing. You yeah. Got, you, it, you must have power. So you, you could charge it, like, you know, but then you're, you're going to have to stick around for a few days. But if there's like a storm and, of course, water and wind are going to just, you know, they're going to decimate range. And so now you're plugging in. Oh, now the power went out. You're like, oh, oh, oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like, you know, the, uh, the properties that Fix got don't even have power. So I, I'm not sure what he's using. You know, it's probably no, <laughs> probably bringing along his own fuel for a generator. Oh, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it says they're off grid uh, entirely. Oh, Maybe yeah, he's got yeah. some solar panels um you know using you know kerosene lanterns or battery powered lanterns things like that um yeah and uh, you know this is you know especially the, the the farther one the bush property you know probably is at best a shack out there and maybe not even that maybe it's just a piece of land where he goes hunting um yeah so yeah absolutely you know i, I would not I would not try to tell you you know to get an ev to make those drives that that is oh, totally ridiculous just... Just get, just go buy an EV, Vic. Just live yeah. on the edge. You want, you want excitement. <laughs> what, what can go wrong, right? What could possibly go wrong when you drive 900 kilometers somewhere and there's no EV, there's no infrastructure for or or power <laughs> for you to charge your vehicle? What could possibly go wrong? All right. Uh, fourth, people do not respect or understand the etiquette around charging stations. Many just use them as parking spaces. Highway 400 in Ontario is 200 kilometers. It's a 120 mile stretch from Toronto to Barrie. Um, there are two en route service stations on that stretch that provide gas, food, and now EV charging. These places can get pretty busy with over 100 cars parked and getting gas, food, etc. Last time up there, someone with a pickup truck and a boat was parked across all four EV charging stations as that was a convenient place to park. So now that's just people being jerks. And I, I don't yeah. I don't understand why you can't just tow those vehicles. Like every time we're like, oh, there's nothing we can do. Um, I don't know. Make something so you can do it. Tow yeah. the vehicle. And yeah, if I were a tow truck driver, as soon as that went into effect, I would just hang out by EV stations all day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that's what property owners, site owners, should be doing. Is they should they should be towing those vehicles, um, you know, and uh, that 
you know, that would help to stop this sort of thing. Yeah. yeah um, be, so, so Vic's going to stick to EV for now or to ice. Oh, ice. He's thinking ice. Now. Uh, and yes, he's, ice. he's absolutely right. That is absolutely yeah. the right way to go. All right. For Vic's life totally makes a thousand percent sense. Yeah. Percent sense. Thousand percent sense. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, a question for the panel. As mentioned in my previous email, I have a very reliable 2005 Corolla that won't die. However, if it ever does, I will be well, in the market for a new, a, a new to me car, not oh, so another not used new. car. Yeah, okay. new to me. That's just good. Uh, but, hey, you know, keep cars on the road as long as you can. You know, as long as reasonable, as long as they're they're safe and reliable, and you know, not polluting too much. Um, I will likely upgrade to something a bit sportier. Oof. What could possibly be sportier than a 2005 Corolla? I don't understand. I don't know. You know, anyway. <laughs> I don't know what's. I mean, that seems like the epitome of sportiness. Anyway, I've I've owned a BMW E39 M5 in the past. Ooh, excellent choice. And enjoyed that. However, it did get expensive on repairs once out of warranty. Very true of, of premium cars in general. So here are some requirements in order of priority. And I would like each one, each of your suggestions. As reliable as my Corolla, I hate going to a dealer for service. Okay. $150,000 Canadian price cap. Uh, so that's probably about 110, 120 grand. That's, that's a pretty big price cap. I know. Uh, manual transmission, torque monster, uh, V8 preferred, but open to options, blue. <laughs> <laughs> V8, blue. Oh, man. Let me think. Mustang GT, GT350. Yeah. GT350. GT350. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's 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 the answer. It's the GT three fifty command transmission. Um uh you can get it in blue. Uh pretty reliable. Yeah. Um as you know, as far as especially as car, as far as, as powerful vehicles go. Um you're gonna have a lot more fun in it than you would in a charger or, or, or a challenger. Those things are just bricks that go straight in a, in a straight line really quickly. Um and of course, you know, the manual transmission. Uh, price cap. I think you'd be all right with that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Or, you know, GR Corolla. It's not. It falls a little bit short of the four hundred foot pounds, but, but you know, it's also light fun. enough that I don't think it'll matter. All wheel drive. Yeah. All wheel drive. You, you, all wheel drive. Your... Manual transmission. Yeah, I, you, you you can't take a lot of stuff with you. It's, too, it's a Corolla. It's yeah. a Corolla. Yeah, you could buy two of them. You get yeah. the, no wait. It's a it's a three cylinder, right? You got to buy yeah. one, two, three. You can buy three <laughs> of them. So <laughs> three together. So uh, so GR Corolla uh, is the answer, GR. and you, and I believe you can get the GR Corolla in blue. When you can't get it in blue, so so three fifty GT or GR Corolla, even though the Corolla doesn't have the V eight, <laughs> but but open the options. So we're yeah. just gonna say that. Yeah, no, I I think I think that's the answer is the GR Corolla. So there you go, Vic. Anytime we can be of help. Uh, finally, from Bryn Berenshausen. Um, hey, crew. Uh, hope you're all well. Just wanted to share my experience today with Tesla service. Um, over the weekend, my Model 3 started showing throwing an error code, unable to charge. Maximum charge level reached. I was not able to charge my car at all. As is Tesla's process, I went into the mobile app and scheduled an appointment, but wasn't available to find, wasn't able to find a spot before mid-December. Uh, it is now this was I got this email uh, earlier this week uh, around the beginning of November. So uh, six weeks, long time to wait for an appointment for service. Um, so I called down to the service center this morning. 
because it's a serious issue. Uh, yeah, not being able to charge yeah. is pretty serious. Uh, they said I could bring it right in. By the time I got there, they had already run remote diagnostics and determined my pack would need to be replaced. It'll be a refurb, not a brand new one. Thankfully, this is within warranty. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, which is which also meant I could get a loaner car. Within a few minutes, I had dropped my car off, was set up with full app access to a loaner Model Y, and was on my way. This is the kind of ownership experience only a few manufacturers do, and what more what more should strive to do. The average person still dreads taking their car in for service because it usually takes a lot of time and hassle. I hope more dealers up their game because while I loathe Elon Musk, it'd be hard to give up the overall Tesla experience when I know how terrible most Hyundai, Ford, Toyota, et cetera, dealerships are. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, well, to, to be honest, that's a, that's a, for a long time, that wasn't the experience, unfortunately. With and Tesla? I think, uh, with Tesla, yeah. Yeah. As for, for people I know who's had issues with Tesla. So if Tesla is upping their game in, at the service centers, that's great. Even though I know that like a year ago, they laid off a bunch of service people. Yeah. <laughs> which was very weird. But if they're, if they're upping their game in the service center, that's one of the big issues that that people have had with tesla is like oh my car isn't working and tesla doesn't want to fix it they're they're you know this sort of which is like well to be honest a lot of automakers a lot of dealerships um whereas but the dealerships are not you know they're they're not owned by ford or toyota or hyundai this is a tesla owned experience so it's you know even more so this really looks bad on tesla as a company so if this is what they're doing now this is what the experience is now good for them because that's, I mean, that's what you should expect when you spend a lot of money, which cars are very expensive. And when things go out of warranty, it shouldn't be a big hassle. It should be, oh, okay, well, we're here, we're going to fix your car. This is what's wrong. Here's another car. Go away. Come back in a week or so, or however long it's going to take them to drop and replace this uh, this pack. So good for good for them. And I'm glad that um, everything worked out really well. I mean, it sucks that that happened, but it seems to be working out. So I have to take uh, our Hyundai needs to get like it's the battery, uh, the battery software uh, updated. And I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it. I'm just like, ah, I got to go to the dealership. I got to do this thing. The car's fine. Nothing's happening, but I got to go take it in. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I mean, that's the kind of thing that with a Tesla, they would just flash an OTA update. And yeah, yeah, you yeah. wake up one morning and it's fixed, and be you, know, fixed, you, yeah. you don't even have to go anywhere near a dealership. And that's you know, that's the sort of thing that you know automakers are moving towards. You know, that they to support the kind of OTA updates that Tesla does. Um, you know, you need a different electrical and electronic architecture in the vehicle, and most newer uh, vehicle as new generations of vehicles come out, they are adding support for you know they're, they're upgrading the ee architectures to support this sort of thing but those are still a relatively small percentage of new vehicles mm -hmm. of currently available vehicles you know tesla debuted this a, a decade ago with the model s yeah and they've done it on every vehicle they built apart from the original roadster so everyone else is dealing with legacies yeah and so you know this this is one of the advantages of you know, uh, buying from a company like Tesla or Rivian or Lucid is they they they've started from scratch and they they have this capability from day one uh, on 100 percent of their vehicles. Um, so, you know, in, in this case, unfortunately for Bryn, you know, it wasn't a matter of just doing a software update. 
you know, it sounds like there's probably something fundamentally wrong with the battery management system uh, and his battery pack, but at least they were able to remotely diagnose it. And again, fortunately for Bryn, he was relatively close to a Tesla service center. Um, you know, that's not the case for a lot of people across the United States. They're not necessarily close to a Tesla service center. There's not nearly yeah. as many of them as there are dealers for, for most legacy brands. Um, so, you know, he was fortunate, um, you know, other people might, might not be so fortunate, um, to, to live so close, but I'm, I'm glad that, that they are taking care of you and not giving you any hassle, um, about, uh, about fixing this, you know, cause that's, yeah. you know, if you can't charge the battery, you're basically a, dead in the water. Yeah. You're just you're like, well, I guess I just keep driving until zero. <laughs> <laughs> so you're good for, you know, a week or so. Yeah, maybe, like, oh. maybe. Depend, <laughs> depending on how far you have to commute, or 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 what charge, what state of charge you're at when the problem surfaced. Yeah. So yeah. at least he was able to oh, get yeah. to a dealer without having to get a flatbed, you know. And and they're yeah. giving him a loaner to drive while they wait for the new battery to come in. Um, so I'm I'm glad that that Tesla is doing that, and you know, and more dealers should be should be doing that. Yeah, got you know, providing loaners is expensive. It, it's a very costly thing to do for for dealerships and service centers, um, you know, and that's why most, you know, apart from premium brands, do not do that. Um, so I'm glad you've had a great experience, and you know, hopefully we'll see, um, you know, more manufacturers doing that in the future. You know, providing that kind of service. Yeah, especially when we're talking about the prices of cars. Yeah, I paid so much money. Be nicer to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's it for this week. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to get your t-shirts and phone cases at shop.wheelbearings.media. Um, thanks to all our Patreon supporters. Um, we really appreciate you and, uh, we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.